Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Welcome back to Take It Away. This is part two of our episode on RAM. have this ambitious album. A lot of work was poured into this. It's intricately arranged and produced. McCartney must have expected it to be well-received, and it was not well-received. I mean, it wasn't hated exactly by all. It sold well, as we've, as we've discussed. I think a lot of fans liked it. A few critics were sympathetic, but many were not. Let's hear some reviews. I don't even want to, like, say some of these. It's They're a little tough. But here, here I go. So Rolling Stone, John Landau, uh, you know. And this is a famous review. Yeah, and this is, he was Bruce Springsteen's manager. He's a record, everybody knows who John Landau is. The quote is, Ram represents the nadir in the decomposition of 1960s rock thus far. So incredibly inconsequential and monumentally irrelevant. Ouch. That is a yeah, tough one. Yeah, and his, uh, you know, that he mentions the 60s there is telling. That this is somehow about the demise of the 60s. Yeah. It seems, uh, seems to me this guy has his own issues. He's not really listening to this album. <laughs> yeah. yeah, there's something else going on underneath there for sure. Uh, then uh, Chris Charlesworth of Melody Maker at the same time. It must be hell living up to a name. You expect too much from a man like McCartney. Also, you know, tough to hear. Lennon, his big quote is, I thought it was awful. McCartney had better tunes on it. You know, the album McCartney. Uh, And he specifically references Junk, which is interesting because that was a song that never actually made it onto a Beatles album. Right. Ringo states, I don't think there's one tune on the last one in reference to Ram. I just feel he's wasted his time. He seems to be going strange. Yeah. (laughs) Going strange. But since then, there's been, you know, some historical revisionism where some of the negative press and publicity that was put on Paul for breaking up the Beatles, it's kind of, it's come off. You know, we've lost two Beatles at this point in time. There's only two of them left. And so in hindsight, people are saying different things. So uh, Stephen Thomas... Erlewine from All Music, he had a nice chorus. In retrospect, it looks like nothing so much as the first indie pop album, a record that celebrates small pleasures with big melodies. And then I was blown away. Jason Green from Pitchfork in 2012 when the album was reissued for the archive collection, he gave it a 9.2 out of 10. And... Nothing gets a good review on Pitchfork. Now, I don't know if that's a good or a bad thing, because Pitchfork is Pitchfork. And I thought his review really got it. Yeah. I pulled three quotes. Was there anything that struck you before I just dive into those? Well, you know, we were talking um, during our album discussion about the, the dark subtext of this album, and he really seemed to get that. Yes, absolutely. 
these quotes actually, they were like a slap across the face. I'm like, wow, nobody's really got this as much as this guy does. If you're listening, shoot, an, shoot us an email or maybe I'll shoot you an email. Direct quote, to use a messy divorce metaphor, when your parents are still screaming red-faced at each other, it's a nightmare. But you can still be assured they care. When one of them picks up and continues on living, it smarts in an entirely different way. And that's exactly what Paul is doing. Just walking away. And I do not have divorced parents, but I know others that do. I, I would imagine it's a tough thing to go through. I've seen that. This is like a relationship for the whole world. This was a big thing in 64. The Beatles were a huge part of the culture. They brought happiness to so many people. Uh, Kennedy had been assassinated. There was a lot going on. And this is the 60s ideal crumbling. Of course, Paul's going to be seen as like the bad parent walking away from the marriage. The last two quotes I'll say from this guy, Mr. Green, it's an album whistled to itself. It's purely Paul. And then the joy of paying close attention to Ram is gradually discovering that Paul was humming darker things under his breath than it seemed. Exactly what you had just said. We had talked about some of these songs being a bit angry or mocking or defiant. Yeah, I think it's not as fluffy an album as some people maybe think without listening to it more closely. The lyrics are full of anxiety and angst and anger. The more overtly domestic parts are, um, you know, a sort of antidote to that. So he's sort of presenting this situation in which he's experiencing a lot of anxiety and anger, and he's using his family life to, um, to soften the blow. Maybe it's a little too telling that it's one of our favorite albums, both of us. <laughs> Maybe. Just a few other matters of housekeeping, um, to just a couple of things I pulled. On the artwork, there is a picture of two Beatles, you know, screwing each other of sorts. Paul claims that it was not a conscious thing. Who knows if that's true or not. Definitely subconsciously came through. One Beatle fucking the other. And then the little L-I-L-Y, I never knew this, it's just Paul saying, Linda, I love you. Mm-hmm. That's on the right of the, in the, in the zigzags on the right there. Yeah, I think and one then, of the books uh, I read as a kid mentioned that. It is nice. And that leads right into this. So it's the only album credited to Paul and Linda McCartney. Linda McCartney is meant to have written six of the songs, six mm-hmm. or so. And Paul had done this, or at least it appeared Paul had done this, to get around the Beatles lawsuit because all of his money and all of his recordings were locked up with Apple and with Klein. And so this was a way to give Linda a cut into 50% of whatever profits would come from it. 
And then Paul could be making money off of his own product again. Sir Lou Grade of ATV and Northern Songs, the guy that you know, controlled all the Paul's publishing rights, ended up suing Paul. And the way they resolved the lawsuit was they came to an agreement that Paul would do a television special to get him out of any stickiness with saying Linda was also credited on the album. That TV special is the James Paul McCartney special that came out in 1973. Yes, which we'll certainly talk about when we get to that period. So head, which is, that is a whole trip. They may deserve its own podcast, actually. It might. I hope you don't mind if I just go into a little section about the charts. So Ram as an album, it only hit number two in the U.S., where it had gone to number one in the United Kingdom. And I'm thinking, well, what the heck was number one in the U.S. at this time? So, you know, August 28th, 71, the album peaks at number two in the United States. It was beat by Carol King's Tapestry. And the, the competition, it was up and down between all of these albums at this time. It was Sticky Fingers by the Rolling Stones, The Carpenters, self-titled, the soundtrack to Jesus Christ Superstar, James Taylor's album Mudside Slim and the Blue Horizon, Moody Blues' Every Good Boy Deserves Favor, Rod Stewart's Every Picture Tells a Story, and then Who's Next by The Who. And then in October... Lennon's Imagine shows up on the charts and it ends up shooting to number one by uh, October 30th, 71, until it's beaten by Santana, then Led Zeppelin, then Sly and the Family Stone, and it kind of just falls. So Rams out, number two, all this competition. Imagine's out just a couple months later, on the charts at least, in a couple months. I mean, songs and albums stay up on the charts for quite some time now. It was just a different time. One or two final things to mention, Thrillington, which didn't actually come out until later in the 70s. Um, so we'll touch on it probably then. Yeah. Or maybe we'll give more time to it. Was an entirely instrumental version of this album done by Richard Hewson, who worked on Mary Hopkins' Those Were the Days, that record that Paul yes. produced. This thing came out in 77. The Uncle Albert, Admiral Halsey, version was the single back with Eat at Home as the B-side in the UK. There was this whole bizarre promotional campaign where they were leaving 
Percy Th- or Sir Percy Thrillington business cards and famous places in London and New York, and it was ultimately a big flop. But it's a very it's a if you've heard it, it's a fun listen if you like this album. But we'll touch on that later. We don't have time for that. Yeah, that falls under the heading of uh, Paul extras or <laughs> miscellaneous Paul. Yeah. Yeah. But I think at this point, um, there are actually still 10 or so more tracks that came from these RAM sessions that were, you know, maybe we should briefly dig into, Chris. All right. So McCartney recorded a lot besides just the album RAM at these sessions in 1970 and 71. Yeah, quite a bit. We had said earlier that it was 25 songs. So we've gone through the single Another Day, Oh Woman, Oh Why, and then the whole album. So that's 14 tracks. So we have another, what is that, 11 tracks to go. So we'll touch on them now. first one of these is Little Woman Love, which was officially released in 1972 as the B-side to Mary Had a Little Lamb. That was May 12th in the United Kingdom and May 29th in the United States. Now, of course, we'll talk about this track a little more when we get to 1972, when it was released. We have a version of it on the EMI RAM Archive edition that seems to be very substantially remixed. It's really quite different from the Wings version that I know. I think that's an attempt to make it sound the way it would have sounded on Ram. Yeah, I don't think that you're hearing any of what probably were overdubs or tweaks or sweetening in 72 when they dug this one back up for the B-side. Right, and this Um, is one of several cases, by the way, on the Ram archive with the bonus tracks where they are quite digital sounding. The spatial placement, you know, in the stereo field is a little too precise. You know, it's very digital, spatial field. The fade-ins and fade-outs of things are, um, that's a little harder to describe, but they sound digital as well. They're too clean, too linear, and everything sounds cleaned up and sweetened with digital effects. It's a good job on some of them. I think Little Woman Love is a pretty interesting listen. I think Hey Diddle, which we'll get to in a second, is pretty well remixed on the bonus tracks, but... Just wanted to mention that it, those are clearly digitally remixed. That those don't seem to be two-track masters that are being remastered. This sounds like yeah. remixing. Yeah. And what I've always thought about this track is that, so this little piano riff that he does, which is basically Lady Madonna or the little riff from Flaming Pie, you know, the, the title track from that 90s album. It's a riff that um, Billy Joel uses a few times too. Yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. also in Suicide, in a little part of Suicide, some of these little riffy things that he does. I think it's ain't, ain't No Crime by Billy Joel on Piano Man, where he uses that exact riff. Uh, maybe we'll line those up here. 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We should, yeah, let's play all the piano, all the riffs. And when she tries to run away and he calls her back, she comes. If there's a next time, he's okay because she's under both his thumbs. But I think this is the best execution of that riff out of all of those instances. Um, and it's a little bit unfortunate that, you know, the lyric is lacking a bit. It's just a fun little song uh, built around this piano lick. It's straightforward in exactly the ways that you know, Eat at Home is not. It really is a straight up, you know, blues rock song. But that whole B section, the oh, ha, 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 great music. That is a great little melody. odd, actually, yeah. Yeah, that's a bit uh, quirky. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Whoa, oh, oh, oh. oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. The other note I had was that Milt Hinton, who is known as the judge, who was 65 years of age at the time, is the gentleman playing the upright slap bass. Huh. I had always thought that was Paul on some double bass laying around the studio, but nope. Milt Hinton, ladies and gentlemen. Now this track does not sound like a Ram track to me. Yeah, it's an outlier. Certainly. Mm -hmm. There are other tracks that were stronger that would have worked in its place. Following in that vein, you had mentioned you wanted to discuss Hey Diddle. Yes, Hey Diddle. Well, we have a few different versions of that, you know? There's a a version on the uh, Venus and Mars archive edition that has some overdubs that were done in 74. Fiddles. Um, That's right. We have this version on Ram that I was just talking about. That I really do think is, you know, digital mixing aside, I think it's a pretty faithful version. I'm really happy to have that Hey Diddle. Of course, you and I have both heard multiple versions and different mixes of the of the song Hey Diddle, which we, as you said in the previous podcast, we'll just say we acquired them somehow. We got them somehow. I heard them. I heard them once or twice before. Uh-huh. And I think the Hey Diddle on uh, the archive edition does justice to the versions I've heard before. I'm, I'm pretty happy with it. The Irish whistle stuff near the end. I just, I forgot. I guess I don't know. I have a hard time keeping track of all the versions of these that I've heard. Yeah, that I think that was a new one on me, actually. So this is a song in the vein of Great Day and the same vein as uh, Bip Bop, for that matter. There's uh, a recording of him playing both Bip Bop and Hey Diddle uh, together. Bop, 
want you back. Hey, diddle, I want you back. Diddle, I want you back. Hey, diddle, I want you back. Diddle, I want you back. So this is one of those little guitar picking songs um, with a little nonsense lyric. It should be of note that I would love to do a podcast on cold cuts, hot mm. hits and cold cuts. Um, yeah. This is one of those tracks that yes, was in the running for that. Which I guess is a good segue right into A Love For You. A which, Love For You. Yeah. I love that song. I um, do. I mean, I really, really <laughs> do too. And always have. Yeah. It's a, it's a flimsy song in some ways, but uh, it's got some crazy energy. Good energy, fun chord progression. You know, Interesting the version that singing. We, yeah, yeah. In that, we in that. What I don't know. You mousy it. voice. <laughs> yeah, that like half-throated tenor. Mm-hmm. That just on Paul is just very clean and clear. And he's able to do that a little louder than most of us, I think. Yeah, he's able to get into that place in his. Well, most of us, you know, we have to get pretty close to the mic to for that to pick up. But I think Paul's able to make that project a bit. Absolutely. Uh, the, the version that we have, we were talking about this earlier before we started recording, was released in 2003 on the In-Laws official soundtrack. Well, we have, we have a couple versions, a couple commercial versions. Yeah. Because, yes, there's the In-Laws version, 
But there's also the archive version, which is different. Not the same yeah. as the in-laws version. And I don't necessarily love these ver like No. I, I don't know what year it is, whether it's in the 80s or 90s or 2000s. I believe it to be early 2000s, where Paul overdubs double tracks or adds just another vocal line into the chorus to just make the hook kind of ram home. <laughs> no, no pun no pun intended, folks. And um, it just doesn't do it for me. It just mm-hmm. feels it just feels out of time, out of place, out of sync, out of step, what's happening. The vibe, as you'd mentioned, is powerful and it just doesn't click. You know, I wish he put this one out, or if it was a B-side. It has this line in it that you barely catch. Um, if you get me, that could save a thousand conversations. Yeah, that's a nice one. If, if you and another person just click, you're on the same wavelength. You don't have to go through all this work. This, they seem sort of one-off or lightweight. Maybe he needed to work on him a little bit more. Maybe that's why he and John were such a good partnership, because John could pull these out of him. That's not easy to write. It seems like it is, but it's not. And Well, um, you do get the impression, though, with A Love For You, if you listen to the original vocal, that the lyrics aren't quite there. But yeah, he's making some stuff up as he goes along and not always enunciating very clearly either. But, mm-hmm. I, but I do um, prefer the earlier versions, the Cold Cuts version. Uh, and there's actually a version that I prefer to the Cold Cuts version, some sort of an alternate take of it. Now, I don't know entirely what we're hearing on those Cold Cuts versions because I know that there were some overdubs in the 80s. 81 and 86, there were overdubs on some of the Cold Cuts tracks. In 86, it was in preparation, I think, for um, releasing some of that stuff on All the Best. Is that right? That's correct. Water Um, Spout and a couple other ones. mm -hmm. But I I do prefer those earlier versions, and I do hope that we'll get get an official remastered version of that someday. Who does? So from there, Sunshine Sometime, it's McCartney, Hugh McCracken, and Denny Sywell just running through the changes of a song. And the version on the archive collection we have, the lyric isn't even on it. It's, but he you is can, humming the melody. Yeah, you can yeah. hear it off mic. Later, so the sources say, in 78, he overdubs this vocal part, but as you and I were talking about, I don't know, I don't know if that's right. Yeah, it doesn't sound like his 78 voice. It sounds like his early 70s voice. I mean, the version of Sunshine Sometime that I've heard sounds like 1971 Paul McCartney. Yeah, that's a beautiful track. I know it was in talks for the Rupert soundtrack or the Rupert album. Yeah, that's the version that I'm referring to, the one that's on the the Rupert acetate. 
Sunshine Sometime is a real gem. The version with the complete lyrics is really special, and, and I would love to have heard that on an album. I have this, this whole fantasy about a, a Ram sequel that has all these songs on it, and that would have been one of the highlights. We're about halfway through these extra tracks. Why don't you give us what that fantasy album would be? I compiled this list from tracks that I know were in some state of actual recording progress uh, during the Ram sessions. So the tracks would be A Love For You, Sunshine Sometime, Hey Diddle, Get On The Right Thing, which showed up later on Red Rose Speedway, Little Lamb Dragonfly, which showed up on Red Rose Speedway, Little Woman, Little Woman Love, Dear Friend, which showed up on Wings Wildlife, uh, Road All Night, which would have to have been substantially overdubbed and, I don't know, maybe re-recorded, but we have it at least, and I Lie Around, which uh, showed up as the B-side for Live and Let Die in 73. It's not quite enough for an album, but he had the songs. We know from the list of 1970 demos that uh, he had the songs to have recorded a few more and added it to that list, and that would have been a a really respectable Ram follow-up, if you ask me. Yeah, if you put tomorrow on there tomorrow some people some never people know people never know yeah 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 i am your singer or you know my fantasy for that album would be just an acoustic version of paul doing uh, goodbye please don't wake me up too late tomorrow comes and i will not be late Like the Come and Get It demo that was on Anthology oh, 3. Yeah, yeah. It's just a treat. That's one. heard that demo. Speaking of Road All Night, um, that's on the list here. The version, the officially released version that we have as of three years ago, 2012, is eight minutes and 45 seconds long uh-huh. and was recorded early slash middle Ram sessions, October 22nd. There are conflicting stories about this one. The thing that's consistent between the stories is that the first take was amazing and the engineer didn't record it. And that the second take, as interesting as it is, never captured what the first one did. So that's the first story. That story is consistent. But uh, one version of the story has this being recorded after lunch one day. And another version has it being uh, at the end of a long session. McCartney comes in and says, no, no, I want to do one more thing. I don't know which story is true. Maybe no one does. Either one's fine. That's that's the vibe. It's some post-meal session.
Yeah, I mean, I like it. I don't, I don't love what it ended up becoming. Uh, Roger Daltrey's <laughs> Giddy, <laughs> which is just really, it's rough. And really has very little to do with the old Road All Night demo. Talk about taking a gem of an idea and just overcooking it to death. Like it's just burnt to a crisp. there the great cock and seagull race which mm-hmm. uh i know you're fond of <laughs> yeah not not much to that one it, it's basically just a straight ahead blues with some cool guitar yeah. sounds some pretty cool guitar it, sounds. it's totally fine and uh they think henry mcculloch is on it who ended up being in sort of the next lineup of wings uh-huh. so some sources i read from like it was it was his audition come in let's get this jam down and it's it's very good guitar playing so yeah a very wings sounding guitar playing actually yeah if, and if that was his audition great it worked good job good job man have in my notes here this isn't really a song but it is it definitely is a point of interest there's this little thing called now hear this song of mine which there are multiple versions on the dvd menu of the deluxe edition of ram that came out in 2012 what it originally was from is this thing called brung to you spelled e-w-e it was a promotional disc. Some reports say only 500 were printed. Others say 1,000 were printed. But it was this recording of intros that were meant to be used before the tracks of Ram, off of RAM when they were to be played upon radio. And the official release, there are these pretty large gaps of silence between each of these versions of this song. In that context, it, I think this is a fine little sort of footnote. For I had only heard them for the first time this year, and it kind of brought me back to the first time I had heard Ram when I was in high school, that kind of feeling you get. Because his his vocal chops are coming into their own, the, the energy's there. It's just a goo- I don't know if you have any notes on this. It's just a goofy little tune. Maybe we'll play a little bit of that. Goes together, man. You know, put a little bit of rockabilly in the ballads, you know, we put a little bit of uh, like a shaker, you know, in the choruses, and uh, we go together, man, you know. Now hear this song of mine. Now hear this. Now hear this song of mine. Now hear this. Okay. Um, what's the next track? Get on the right thing. Get on the right thing. Now we'll talk about this when we get to Red Rose Speedway. 
but it's it's interesting that it was recorded almost entirely recorded during ram and isn't the vocal take on red rose speedway the ram vocal take that's it and uh you had mentioned there was this track you were mentioning earlier i think it was a love for you where the lyrics were flubbed a bit and um, Mm -hmm. this was actually the one where where denny lane was like you should leave it because late in the song paul's uh, headphones came unplugged Uh and yet he's still going for it he's still singing he must have been able to hear it in some in some other fashion in the studio maybe there's bleed through or he could keep with the track but yeah that's the version you hear on red rose speedway is the vocal from ram yeah and there are some pretty strange lyrics there your world is as kind as a penny i've never quite figured that one out yeah that's uh (laughs) it's a tough one sounds like an ad lib basically yeah uh, I mean, they love this one so much that there were talks of putting it um, as an album, sorry, an autumn single in 71, uh-huh. um, but that, for whatever reason, did not occur. All at once you get love on your mind and you And then we have another uh, Red Rose Speedway track, um, Little Lamb Dragonfly, that also was originally recorded during the Ram sessions. Which is so funny, and we'll get to this on Red Rose Speedway. I, I like Red Rose Speedway fine. It's mm-hmm. certainly not my favorite Paul McCartney album. All my favorite songs off of that album are from Ram. <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah, it helps to make the case uh, that I was making earlier that you could have had a very good Ram follow-up using these tracks. Yeah, which is sort of uh, a thing that happens with Paul when he is in control of the track list or in control of every single element of a production. The editing, the editing process is not as great as it could have been. which I, be- I think we can talk about later also, mm-hmm. was tracked. The version that eventually is released, though, uh, only a part of Paul's original vocal is included, and it's an octave higher than what Denny's singing on the officially released version. I, hope, I actually hope we get a full-blown Paul singing that tune. That would be great. That'd be interesting to hear. 
But it's a, you know, it's a very Ram-like song. It's got the country thing going on. The pastoral yeah. theme is, is going, and the guitar work is very Ram-sounding, actually. Great guitar work, especially in that's verse two or three. Mm-hmm. Where these I, love, like, I love that intro, too, with the acoustic. Like we're saying before, it's just amazing the amount of stuff that was coming out of him at this point in time. The last one I have on my list is Dear Friend, which that one's believe a it or not, right? Did, yeah, yeah. Some some reports say it was recorded before Imagine came out, and it's not a response to How Do You Sleep. It's an iffy one uh, when this track was recorded. I found it interesting though. That um, it was recorded right after Dear Boy. Dear Boy was one of the few tracks that was like not written in that big demo session mm-hmm. uh, in '70. So, Dear Boy, Dear Friend, John thinks Dear Boy's about him. Dear Friend's actually the one about him. Yeah, Dear Friend is about him. That covers you know covers all the session material from 1970 and '71. Uh, I mean. I mean, you know, it was just like, uh, you know what I mean. Now hear this song of mine. Now hear this. song of mine. So that concludes our podcast about Ram. Paul McCartney's second solo album after the Beatles' demise. Psychedelic, country, rock, however you want to label it. Extremely creative, high volume and quality of creative material came from this period. And at the time, not received well. In hindsight, one of Paul McCartney's best, if not the best, and nowadays, it seems to be held up next to Band on the Run. For the longest time, Band on the Run was the consensus, you know, greatest McCartney album. But Ram seems to yeah. have equaled it in, in the public consciousness, I think. I completely agree. And here we are tackling uh, such an important album very early in our run here. But we've tried to do it justice and to discuss, you know, all of the context of it and uh, dig into all the stuff that was really going on at the time. Any errors, complaints, problems, please just email us. And, um, you know, we're open to criticism. We're not. We're human. We'll get it wrong sometimes, but uh, we hope you enjoyed listening. So uh, I'm Chris Mercer. And I'm Ryan Brady. And this is Take It Away, the complete Paul McCartney archive podcast. Our theme music is Martha, My Dear by John Lennon and Paul McCartney, realized by Ryan Brady.